Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Halloween, you can't escape the shock, the terror of werewolf by night tonight it is every hunter for themselves good luck i'll be rotting for you but one of you is a monster masquerading as one of our own i can't wait to find out what breed of evil you are Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I'm David Chen, and we got a special treat for you today. It's a bonus episode. We're going to be talking about the new Marvel special presentation that's on Disney+. Plus. It's called Werewolf by Night. It's directed by composer and now director Michael Giacchino. Joining me today for this review is someone who I have never podcasted with before. This is our first ever podcast, and we're going straight into it. But she is a writer and pop culture host whose work has appeared at CNET and Nintendo. She's currently writing a book called The Art of Psychonauts 2. Ashley Eskeva, welcome to Decoding TV. Thanks for joining me today, Ashley. I, t- thank you for having me. What a, what a treat this is, <laughs> has been. I mean, just to be able to, has first of the all. Last, like, the last minute of me introducing this, you. What a this treat. last 60 seconds has truly <laughs> been a joy and an honor. Mm-hmm. No, I'm so mm-hmm. excited to come and talk to you about this this amazing bizarre thing that i can't believe i saw with my own two eyes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes you're referring to werewolf by night which as i alluded to is a marvel special presentation i think it's the first time anything has been designated with that terminology before it basically is a 1 hour made for tv film uh, that is largely in black and white. So a lot of like Marvel first there, you know, like one hour films, black and white special presentation, and it's streaming right now, uh, right now on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Werewolf by Night follows a lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using abilities given to him by a curse brought on by his bloodline. Bit of a minor spoiler, but the movie is called Werewolf by Night. So I don't think it's giving that much away. Now, before we get into full spoilers for Werewolf by Night, I do want to mention uh, that if you are if you enjoy this conversation, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, at decodingtv. Ashley, let's start by talking pre-spoilers. What do you think overall of Werewolf by Night, and should people watch this Marvel special presentation? I absolutely loved this this is so far up my alley that it might as well be its own freeway uh (laughs) this was delightful for me in a way that was reminiscent of the wonderful world of disney Uh, it really is it had that very different kind of that made for tv sunday night movie vibe which was so weird to come back to it made me feel a little bit like a kid again 
And I Mm -hmm. really loved that. And I was a weird kid who really liked horror stuff. And so to be able to watch something like this that really kind of reignited that love for old movie monsters, black and white movie monsters, the old universal like lineup. This is the dark universe I want, right? Mm-hmm, this is the, mm-hmm. this is the, can we call it the real dark universe? Are we allowed, mm-hmm. are they allowed to take that now that it's not being I, used I don't know. anymore? I, no one ever uses the term dark universe during the course of Werewolf by Night. So I got to assume that Universal still has a claim on it. But maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they do. But I really love this. It was so bizarre to, to see it. I, I can't believe Marvel even was interested in making this it it just Mm -hmm. feels like such a a a, a real deviation from what the standard marvel superhero formula is yeah uh and there's a lot of people have been pointing out that basically marvel did the dark universe better than you i think it was universal that tried the dark universe and they failed pretty horribly at it um but uh yeah, it, it it is notable that this is clearly like a love letter to those kinds of monsters. Uh, and I will just say overall, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I agree with you. It came out of left field. Not not a mo- like Michael Giacchino, the guy who made the score for The Incredibles, directing a horror movie in black and white for Disney+. Plus. Not a set of words I would have put into a Mad Lib, you know, that I would nope. have guessed, but uh, really exciting. And I'm always in favor in my own personal life and in in life in general, in not putting people into boxes. You might think of Michael Giacchino as a composer, but he has other passions and he perhaps wants to be a filmmaker. And this is a, I would say a very promising first entry. Um, so I, I liked it. I liked it. I, um, you know, I will say it's like pretty standalone. You know, it doesn't require that you've seen all the Marvel films, um, there's not too many connections to other Marvel things. So it's right. very, very standalone. Uh, and obviously, stylistically, it's quite different than a lot of Marvel stuff that we've seen. So it's notable for that as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great performances, memorable characters, um, some stylish direction, some cool choices there that we're going to talk about. Uh, overall, I'd say it's worth checking out. And the thing is like, what, 54 minutes? So it's you know, a real tight 54 minutes. It, it moves at a clip. So if you're looking for something, you know, like you were saying, a little standalone kind of fun Halloween morsel of goodness. I mean, I, I would absolutely recommend this. All right. Well, I know we just finished saying it's standalone, and I do believe that you don't need any Marvel knowledge to go go into it. But I want to start by acknowledging some of the Marvel connections. And I would say SlashFilm.com has done a pretty good job of covering this movie. They've written multiple articles and so I am going to read from uh, one of the articles. And I should, I should say, from this point forward, we are going to be spoiling Werewolf by Night. So it's going to be full spoilers. spoilers. Go check it out. You know, go watch the movie on Disney+. Plus. Come back, watch and listen to this episode of Decoding TV. Um, and I can, but, talk to, I can speak to the comics a little bit. I know yeah, a little yeah. bit of the history of the comic that this was based on, uh, which is pretty interesting. I do love that they never used the main character's last name in mm. this uh, in this film, which is in the comic books. It's Jack Russell, as in Jack Russell Terrier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little dog theme there, mm. uh, which is kind of funny. But uh, yeah, his name's Jack. So yeah. Gail Gail Garcia Bernal is Jack in this movie, and uh, in the comics, Jack's last name is Russell. So I don't know if that's the case in the movie. Maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're they're gonna go away from that. 
decision because yeah. it was made, I think, in the 50s, maybe the 70s. Uh, but it it definitely is an interesting it's an interesting choice. Uh, I'm going to re- read here from an article uh, at SlashFilm.com uh, called An Ode to Marvel's Man-Thing, Werewolf by Night's Breakout Character. So in the movie, Jack meets up with a friend, uh, which we later learn is the monster called Man-Thing. And uh, according to this article, like most Marvel heroes and villains, Man-Thing's form was born from an accidental transformation. First introduced as Theodore Ted Salas in Savage Tales number one, he was a biochemist who was tasked to replicate the super soldier serum that created Captain America. His assignment project gladiator saw him in a mysterious swamp in the Florida Everglades where the habitat's mystical properties fused with the serum and caused Ted to transform into a new composition of the swamp's plant life, becoming the green creature known as uh, Man-Thing, not to be confused with DC's Swamp Thing, FYI. Yeah, uh, yeah. And also... Side Good connection. Um, the mystical swamp uh, in the Florida Everglades, Everglades that mutated with Ted Serum and created his Man Thing form was actually powered by its connection to the nexus of all realities, a pathway that bends all space and time. It is an infinitely powerful doorway to any reality, and as we know, Phase Four, Five, and Six are all part of Feige's ultimate connective plan, the Multiverse Saga. End quote. So, some kind of tangential connections to the MCU here with Man Thing, uh, right. and obviously, uh, as you indicated, the the main character in the movie, uh, and also the the title of the movie gets its name from a comic book called Werewolf by Night. So, um, so yeah, you know, it really opens up the aperture of what we can what we think of in terms of the MCU, like. Uh, the MCU is a place that can accommodate superheroes like Iron Man and Thor, but also people in space like the Guardians of the Galaxy and all the, the, the people they interact with. And now we know that it also happens to be a universe with monsters and vampires and so on, which, by the way, also probably opens the door for a character like Blade, which we know is a movie that's coming out in the next couple of years. So yeah, um, yeah. these are kind of some of the Great bigger point. connections with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, but like I said, you can watch it without knowing any of that and still enjoy the movie. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into it. I mean, this movie what? is about uh, a an object called the Bloodstone, right? And there's this idea that uh, the Bloodstone is a, a, a really powerful uh, object that can help out with monster hunting, and it will be awarded to. Uh, one monster hunter at the end of the night, whoever is able to kill this creature that the bloodstone is connected to. Um, and so what, what are some elements of the movie that stick out to you that you, you want to discuss, Ashley? I, so I love this uh, concept of monster hunters all coming to pour one out for one Ulysses. Let's mm-hmm. just call it P Ulysses P bloodstone. I'm going to give mm-hmm. him a middle, a middle initial. Uh, I thought that was really cool and I was really interesting. I loved this, like, again, like very bizarre. Uh, it really struck me that I, as I was watching it, I said, I can't believe this is a Marvel property. I can't believe this is a Marvel special presentation. I can't believe uh, that that Marvel was super excited about this in any capacity. It just seems so outside of their wheelhouse. Uh, but it ended up being so, uh, like I said, it's tight. And so the, the editing is very good. The storytelling is very good. I, I actually would have not minded a little bit of extra storytelling uh, where mm-hmm. at this gathering of monster hunters, that was like very interesting to me. 
Uh, but I did love all of these different monster hunters. Um, I loved that uh, punk guy from Star Trek Four was in this. Like he's the he's the guy with the axe. He's like the big mm. guy with the axe. Um, that was very cool and weird. Um, and then I, I think you're referring to Kirk Thatcher. That uh, is who, that is him, Kirk Thatcher, who plays, jo- who plays Joven in this movie, right? So yeah, and he so he. Uh, he was great. I, I felt like the the character design of all of these yeah. monster they're hunters. They're all very like distinct and they're all very extremely yeah. distinct, clear, different monster hunters. You got yeah. a real sense of what type of hunter they were, what maybe their combat abilities might be. I mean, because they all have their own, you know, signature weapon and they look yeah. cool, and one of them's in all white, and the other one, like one of them's got like hand crossbow. And it's just <laughs> It was really awesome. Like, that was really cool. They did a lot of visual storytelling here, uh, and it went a long way to kind of filling in the gaps. I loved that the Bloodstone was the only thing in color for the entirety Mm -hmm. of the piece. That was such a great and interesting visual choice again. um, And I also, uh, the the corpse automaton is now, uh, it's going in my will. I'm going to demand that I be made (laughs) and do some type Mm -hmm. of corpse puppet that speaks Mm -hmm. to everybody at my funeral it was just so I, i'm more of a I'm more of a i'm more of a compost you know plant me as a tree kind of deal but you know um different that strokes seems, for different folks that seems more economical and mm-hmm, less mm-hmm. uh m- maybe less narcissistic and i mm-hmm, i respect mm-hmm. that a lot <laughs> <laughs> there are three kind of main characters right gael garcia bernal plays uh, jack russell in the movie kind of a heavy hint as to who he might be in the movie um Laura Donnelly plays Elsa Bloodstone, who is Ulysses Bloodstone, estranged daughter. And then there is Har- uh, Harriet Sansom Harris, who plays Verusa Bloodstone, who is Ulysses' widow and Elsa's stepmother. She's also the MC of the event. And uh, I, I just want to say it, it's, uh, it's lovely to see Harriet Sansom Harris uh, in a movie like this, chewing up the scenery. She is basically a... Uh, character actress who has been in you know dozens of shows and movies over the year probably the thing that uh i know her the most from is she plays sammy jenkins's wife in the christopher nolan film memento yes um, sammy jenkins played by stephen tobolowsky um a friend and colleague of mine so uh and but she's usually like kind of a side character in the background it, it really awesome to just see her kind of be front and center and deliciously evil and weird in this movie um, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it was great. as you point as you point out, you know, a lot of different uh, looks for these different characters, uh, and they clearly put work into kind of the the production design, but also the the character design as well. Uh, what is notable about this movie is it feels relatively low budget, but mm-hmm. they still shot it on what seems like practical sets. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's some CG enhancement there, but it is so refreshing. Ashley, to watch a Marvel film that is shot on a practical set where it's like, it's not, you know, I, I watched Thor Love and Thunder and I think approximately 95% of that movie it was in front of green screens or the yeah. volume and to just see them interacting with objects in the environment and, you know, basic things that we come to expect from movies is really yeah. refreshing and delightful. So doesn't it feel, do you feel like you're getting a little bit of a volume fatigue? I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, there was the news that Sony pictures had opened their own led production space, mm-hmm. uh, much like the volume. 
And I, as I have been watching Andor, I have finally started to sort of pick up on, uh, there's a very distinct kind of blocking that happens in in Mm -hmm. the volume. And you can always tell when they reach the end of the volume. And there's always a cut, like right before it's like, it's always like a medium shot and they're sort of walking away and then, oh, there's a cut there. And I'm like, oh, that was the end of the volume. That's, that's where it ended. Yeah. The, and the, I, the volume being like, for those who don't know, it's like, yeah, the, the kind of soundstage that they shoot things like the Mandalorian on where most of the stuff that you're seeing isn't real. Um, it's like, it's like a very sophisticated green screen, except the green, think of it like the green screen is live. Like the, the actors can yeah. actually see what's it's going on LED, in the background. It's a yeah. super high resolution LED screen. And as the camera moves with the actor, so does the background yeah. to make yeah. it seem like they are actually inhabiting that space, which is incredible technology. Amazing. It really Amazing. is incredible. But, but, but I, I but, am maybe getting yeah. a little bit of volume fatigue. You know what I well, mean? Here's what I would say, Ashley. I think it's like any other tool. I think yeah. it's like any other cinema. It's exciting uh, cin- you know, right now. Cinematic tool. And it can be used poorly. It can be used as a crutch. Um, 3D comes I, to mind as well, where mm-hmm, I feel like mm-hmm. for a while there, yeah. some movies that maybe should not have been 3D were made in 3D because of the uh-huh. enthusiasm for 3D. Well, because of the money that they felt they could extract from people, 100%. they could raise prices. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that um, the volume it's is like any other toy. tool. Yeah, the, the volume is like any other tool. It can be used really well for cinematic storytelling. Uh, a great example of how it's been used well, I would say, is the Batman, the Matt Reeves movie. So um, good. Incredible use of the volume. Like, uh, they didn't use the volume for every scene, you know, but they used it for some scenes. And when they used it, it was beautiful. It's it, really it is possible well to use it in a beautiful way. So it's just, yeah. uh, it just depends Discerning. on how you do it. In any case, uh, you know, you mentioned Andor. It doesn't feel like any scenes in that mo- that show were shot on the volume at all. It sounds like it looks like all practical in, in it's Andor. It's really pretty. Other than the space stuff. Um, yeah. and, Those were uh, long kind of And the Coruscant stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then in this movie, there are some CG uh, sort of enhancements. Ted. It looks like. Ted CG. Some- Ted you know, C- partially, Ted. Well, you, you say CG, but, you know, they, they got a guy. They dressed him up in a suit. They obviously enhanced some of, like, the facial stuff and so on. Mm-hmm. Um but it looks like a large part of the stuff you're seeing on screen was actually built and was physically real. Which is uh, great. And that's just, that's great. That's great. So it's, it's so weird to see. Also, I think what was also interesting about the um, uh, werewolf by night was, I think it was like a, like a anamorphic aspect ratio, basically do, do you know, like 2.39 by one, which is really weird. I'm not a hundred percent sure about this. I might be going over my skis a little bit here, but Usually when you watch like a black and white throwback with like the old school credits and, you know, Roman numeral like copyright this year, um, they usually do in like a four by three or old school aspect ratio. But this is like a super modern aspect ratio, but it's also shot to kind of look like it's on film, but it has like yeah, they have a the red cigarette color. Burns. Did you catch yeah, the cigarette burn? I didn't catch the cigarette burn, but yeah. but it, So basically it's just this kind of odd mix of like old and new things is one of like, and then you have like the yeah. color of the bloodstone. Uh, so it's like a really interesting look. I wouldn't say it really worked for me or it didn't work for me. I'll just say it was a lot of interest. I could tell that like all the decisions were purposeful. I don't know if like the totality of the decisions made it. So I'm like, Oh wow. Super cool. Because it's so, it's so weird. It's like the mix of it's things. It's very so dissonant. Weird. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, a dissonant exactly. thing. I, this has been very uh, the reaction to this amongst my friends who work in the industry, who are you know cinematographers, directors are like, 
this is uh I they wanted it was very mixed the response to it because a yeah. lot of people who you know work with cameras are like well if you're gonna do an right. old school monster movie like you gotta go all the way yeah and make it the right aspect ratio you gotta you know you gotta really lean into that look and that feel but then there were some other people who were like well i thought it was really cool that he was trying to sort of modernize the way that it looked and like create this sort of new visual language for it uh while still paying homage and i i i can respect both of those opinions i think that they're both completely valid i yeah. i there was a part of me that kind of wished that maybe he had leaned a little bit farther into like getting that throwback look um that super old film look and he did add that like there's a digital cigarette burn right before the beginning of the monster hunt and so mm-hmm. she you know she's like hey okay it's time to go and then you hear the the <laughs> tuba guy by the way um there's a there's a there's a person playing a tuba in this in this yeah. in this made for TV movie, uh streaming movie. And he this person is now officially on the same level as this is our new doof uh guitar guy. So uh, from mm-hmm. Mad Max, this is the this is the guy now. So I'm like, yeah. oh, this is I love horror tuba. This is my new favorite mm-hmm. guy. Horror tuba guy is is real good. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. Uh, another reference, by the way, about speaking of a cinematography is like um, if you saw Roma, the Alfonso Cuaron movie uh, on Netflix, that movie's in black and white, but it's shot on something called uh, an Ari Alexa 65, I believe, which is like the images are like super crystal clear. Do you know what I mean? So like they're crisp. super, super sharp. And so crisp. Um, like it, they clearly like advanced digital technology went into making it. And so that, that all, it kind of reminds me of like that, where like that, you don't expect something black and white to be that clear and, you know, clean looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of a similar thing where it's like, it's an anamorphic aspect ratio, but it's also kind of grainy like film but it also has like weird, you know, modern digital effects like, you know, the red bloodstone. And so, you know, so. Right. Anyway, yeah. Um, interesting, interesting look for the movie. Uh, but yeah, what I also really enjoyed about this movie is it has a, a bunch of the good old fashioned hand to hand ultraviolence. Uh, and I would dare say this is among the more violent stuff uh, material that we've seen in the MCU before. I think just so. in terms of the gore. You're right. You know? Yeah, you know? it definitely uh, is. Now, I think that the fact that it's black and white actually helps with that in the sense that sure. uh, because if the blood is not red, that 
for some reason, movie raiders and people in general, I guess, don't think that's quite as bad. I, I think it's, you know, the same personally, but yeah. It's not uh, as visceral, I feel like. Yes, it's a, the, the, sure. the, you know, that sequence, there's a, that sequence where it's the door closing as the guards are fighting uh, the werewolf and it's, you know, we're moving through this mm-hmm. scene and you're just seeing the blood splattering on the lens, like as he is taking out each guard and it would have been so much more visceral, so much mm-hmm. more upsetting uh, if everything had been in full color. But to have seen it in black and white made me appreciate that it was in black and white, if that makes sense. I was like, oh, sure. wow, this is really beautiful. The contrast here is really beautiful. And I can appreciate this cinematic value of it as opposed to just being like, wow, this is super gory. Cool. Like, you know, there's like that kind of that different emotion that you're feeling like as they're moving through the scene. Yeah. But there's like two to three pretty decent action scenes in this movie. You know, there's a action scene when they're in the hedge maze or whatever it is, you know, like uh, where they're, they're fighting each other. And specifically Elsa is doing battle with Joven and, uh, and then ends up killing off the other guy too, Leorn. I think is his name, played by Leonardo. I think so. Mann. I think that's. I think that's right. I. It was. Uh, it goes by so quickly, and they really don't. I think they mention their names like one time when they meet them for the first time, and they really don't hear anyone's name except Elsa's uh, ever again. Leonardo Nam, um, he played Felix Lutz in HBO's Westworld. For those who, oh wow, uh, yeah, for those who might have watched, that's where I've seen his face. I'm like, I, I, it was really interesting to me how many people I recognized, but I couldn't quite. I'm like, I know this person. They they do a lot of character work. I just don't quite can't quite place them until Mm -hmm. I looked them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I really enjoyed that the the fight scene between all of them uh and leorn gets an awesome death you know with a uh kind of impaled through the skull and uh and then basically like kind of suffocated by elsa that's pretty cool a pretty cool death uh for that character and then i love that they set up joven as kind of this huge badass and i i believe he gets disintegrated by man thing am i right about that yeah yeah his Um, head gets disintegrated by man thing very uh very cool It's just like you, you you set him up as like a pretty big yeah. badass, and then like Man Thing just comes in, just like kind of takes him out. Him. Yeah, yeah, just like just, dissolves just him. Straight up dissolves so the, him. the effect the, of them killing him, like the Man Thing so killing cool. people, was a really cool effect. Yeah. Uh, reminded me a lot, actually, of uh, Blade One and Two, or yes, I guess where all the Blade he takes out the vampires, and then they like kind of turn into ashes. Yes, it's like very bright, like heat. There's like a heat to it. Yeah, that, yes. that's a really good point. That's um, that's really cool. I did wonder, by the way, speaking of Blade, you meant you've mentioned Blade twice now, and it feels like, uh, yes, I think you're absolutely on the money that this is a great way for Marvel to introduce the supernatural characters of the Marvel un- Cinematic Universe into the the MCU fold. Uh, but I also think. Um, that there's a possibility we see Elsa Bloodstone again, maybe in Blade, or we see her, we maybe see her again or hear of her at some point in the future in an MCU movie, which I think right. would also be very cool. I mean, there is an open question of when this movie is taking place. I don't think a year is given. Uh, it is intentionally left ambiguous. I, I don't think, I, I mean, we see like kind of some modern-ish technology 
in, like the animating the corpse and stuff like that, and maybe like, some of the that's weapons. That's automaton technology, so that's from mm-hmm. like the eighteen hundreds. Mm, so and yeah. this is you know this could go back that far, and you see some well, crossbow stuff, but it's like yeah, but we had crossbows in the middle ages, iPhone. you know. Yeah, nobody, nobody, had nobody, an had, iPhone. nobody has an iPhone. Honestly, actually, the biggest hint as to when this might be taking place was at the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie switches to color, and then you start hearing somewhere over the rainbow on the soundtrack. Uh, I I didn't really understand exactly if there was a big reason why it switched to color. I think it was just kind of a wizard of a straight Wizard of Oz visual homage. Wizard of my, Oz, yeah, pick, I think you're you right. Um, but he says something like, "Hey, do you want to get sushi?" Now I actually looked this up, and sushi did not really become popular in the United States until around the 1960s. Although it was as early as the early 1900s. I mean, um, so it could be the early 1900s. What a uh, pull, Dave. Like, what a thank pull. You. Sushi, thank you. Oh, yeah. sushi, like, is that, when did that come around in the U.S.? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but or it could be, hey, they just wanted to throw in a sushi line like they did Shawarma in the Avengers. And uh, they no one looked, like, there was no PA looking up when the, you know. So it, this could, in fact, take place in the 1700s or 1800s, you know, uh, as well. I mean. But if. If we are to maybe take the monster the... hunters are world travelers, maybe they've had sushi. They had sushi actually in the east. Like maybe they they mm. hunted some monsters in Japan, right? Like mm. that could be. I'm just yeah, saying, we we could. They true. do seem like world travelers. They've talked about going to different places mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. hunting different monsters. And it's so true. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be so. Uh, Western centric in my yeah, sushi maybe, I mean, they dialogue. do seem like world travelers to me. So it's mm-hmm. it does strike they do strike me as monster hunters who will go to any length to take out a mm-hmm. monster and say, you know, what what was it? Such a great line about mercy. Oh, we're doing this as a mercy to you and the people that you've killed, and like all the you know all these great things. Uh, I I thought that was really. I thought that was a really great monologue by her. Mm-hmm. She's she's just really fantastic and. Um, what was uh ver is it i'm gonna mess up her name i want to call her verdusa but it's verusa verusa Verusa, that's it it's verusa i want to call her verdusa because i think of medusa um but uh yeah verusa's monologue about um you know the fact that they were going to basically give be give him mercy by putting him down by killing him and killing Jack and uh, and and doing uh, giving this mercy to all of his other victims or would be victims. I thought it was very uh, that was a very excellent movie monster movie monologue. Right, right. And you're alluding to the fact that halfway through the movie, uh, Elsa and Jack help Man Thing escape, um, but it exposes Jack as a monster, which is. Obviously, very shocking because he has infiltrated this group of monster hunters. He that's that's the worst thing you could be if you're in a group of monster hunters as a monster yourself. Yes. Uh, and I did think it was a, interesting. All that stuff with him before he transforms is kind of interesting to me. There's uh, there's a moment where he says to Verusa, like, "You should kill me as I am right now. Like it would be it would be a mercy." And you know, um, and they don't take his advice because they're freaking dumb um but also poor choices they just make some very poor choices also he like <laughs> smells elsa in the hopes that he'll like remember her afterwards and she's like has this ever worked and he's like once and it's like oh Ooh, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. what'd you say i said oh i when i saw that so well, oh there's some some backstory yeah, there like i want to cool. know more 
Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Like, there's just kind of like, hey, these references, like these characters have had more going on with their lives than what you see in the movie. And mm-hmm. um, I thought I thought it was an, it was nice little touches. Then of course there's a scene where he like transforms. Um, they don't show the transformation on screen. It's done well. You know, they show this kind of it. flashing light, and they show Ugh. him slowly becoming it. So um, good. I was listening to Slash Film Daily and they were talking about this movie and they were a little bit disappointed that, uh, you know, we didn't see the full transformation on screen because that is the werewolf transformation is a part of the DNA, the visual DNA of this character. So it is a little bit of a bummer that we didn't see it, but um, I think I think that's fair. Yeah. But if I may argue for the defense for a moment, I'm happy to hear it, but I'll also (laughs) just say, I think Giacchino's rationale was, it's uh, more effective if you can imagine it. But what was your... I, I think that that's yeah. a very good... Uh, that's a great point. Um, I thought that... I very much appreciated the willingness for Giacchino to say... For for Michael Giacchino to say, you don't need to be shown... We don't need to hold your hand through this. We don't need to show you every single little thing... We can we can make these sort of like offhanded comments about, oh, this has worked once before or, you know, this other piece of kind of the 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 world building that you can fill in yourself. Like we trust you, the viewer, which is not a very common thing anymore in the MCU. And I thought that that was I very much appreciated that. And I really loved the economy of. And I have a feeling it's like, you know, obviously the the auteur's answer is let's, oh, well, you fill in you fill it in with your imagination. It's always so much more terrible than you could possibly imagine. But really what it boils down to, in my opinion, is is its budgets. And it's it's a really great and clever, creative way to cover up the fact that maybe you didn't have the budget to do this transformation thing in the way that you had envisioned it, mm-hmm. uh, much like, let's say, Jaws, right? It's like, you know, Spielberg went around with a lot of wallpaper on that shark and was like, oh, it's always more terrible when you can imagine it. Well, it's because the shark didn't work and they didn't <laughs> have enough money to fix it. Like, that's yeah. that's what ended up happening. But it's, I think for me, that actually heightened that nostalgia for old monster movies because it was Mm -hmm. so uh it was so economical um both literally and metaphorically Mm -hmm. it was very good and very effective um and so i i really really appreciated it and i as a as a moviegoer who again i sometimes i feel like i'm just so tired of like being having my hand held through everything and having it you know constantly the the exposition explained to me like everything is explained and explained and explained and retconned and I just am ready to kind of you know I'm ready for filmmakers to trust me as a viewer again and Mm -hmm. I I felt like Giacchino really did that in this and I I appreciated that very much I think that's fair I mean I agree about with you about the economics. Honestly, it's very noticeable to me when watching She-Hulk Attorney at Law as an example, where uh, I know uh, you love that show. Uh, I, I enjoy the show as well, but I do think the visual effects are really rough. Not they are. As a fault, not as a fault of the visual effects artists, who I th- believe are overworked and uh, uh, underpaid you know it's just more like i from what we hear online they are put under these brutal schedules with like lots of changes at the last minute and whenever i watch that show 
I, I feel like I'm seeing the seams of the visual effects workflow where you almost never see her transform in that show. Like you see her transform maybe like three times in the entire run of the show. Yeah. And it, they always like cut away because it's like they didn't have enough money to show her transforming, I guess. Um, but for this 54 minute film, I think it really works. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and we should point out this. And also in the way that they, the way that they did it, I mean, it, it's very different in She-Hulk, right? It's like, you know, it's a, this is sort of a procedural sitcom. Like it's a yeah. procedural sitcom that happens to be centered around a superhero. And I, I really enjoy it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, but I do, I, I do totally also, um, it's very noticeable that yeah. we don't see her transform, right? Like it's yeah. very yeah. noticeable. And so, <laughs> Uh, yeah. it, it, which here, is here, very, it's it, funny. Yeah. But the way it's done here is you are seeing Elsa's reaction to it. And so that right. is also kind of cool, right? You're, and seeing, you're seeing this amazing yeah. like strobe light transformation yeah. in the shadows in the background. And it was just, it reminded me so much of, um, it reminded me of, you know, Frankenstein. And it also reminded me a little bit of, um, it reminded me a little bit of like a like a stop motion. It had like that sort of yeah, the vibe crafted yeah. yes, vibe yes. of like a paper craft or a stop motion animation to it. And I I I mean, look, like I, it felt like someone could have done it using clay and yes, stop motion animation like with paper a, craft and right, lights. Like right, it just yeah. was so cool. And I I really it was something where I was like, wow, I haven't seen that before. And mm-hmm. I that that to me is it. I'll take that trade any day i'll take that trade something i haven't seen before that's visually creative versus something that i've seen a million times in cinema and 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 like you said is is a kind of expected trope in a werewolf movie you want to see that transformation but i also just feel like um if i have to trade it away if i have to give it up then this is the exchange that i would be willing to make for it because it was it was very cool i should point out that uh, after he transforms uh it is practical makeup and that's also cool because there's Amazing. so many they do cg for everything in marvel now the suits people wear the helmets people wear it's cg everything now you know yeah and so the idea that you have an actual werewolf that they actually use real makeup and prosthetics for uh it's refreshing did uh, i did then, we did you see anything saying that like he he that <laughs> that he did not gael did not like being in that makeup like or that it was very dead. Like, I'm sure it was very difficult. I mean, regardless, mm-hmm. anybody who's wearing that level of creature makeup is that is not easy. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't he I don't think he has done creature makeup almost at all mm-hmm. um, and certainly not on this level. And so I, I I have to imagine that the days in that in that mm-hmm. creature makeup had to have been extremely difficult for him as an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then he goes and basically annihilates everyone in the room, and it's um pretty cool action scene. You know, pretty well so done. So satisfying. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I will say like, um, the action is overall pretty well shot, pretty stylishly shot. Um, you can see what's happening, and for for a lot of it, un- unless it's very purposeful for you to not see what's happening, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it feels like uh they use a lot of like medium shots, a lot of long takes. Um, from what I recall, and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was overall really well done. So, uh, a lot to like about the action scenes in the movie, and and about the look of the movie, and about the feel of the movie. Um, but any other thoughts about kind of where the movie ended? I I thought it was really interesting that 
Ted, <laughs> good old man thing. Ted uh, was his sort of the. So they make it seem like earlier on in the in the monster hunt when they're looking for man thing to to take him down and get the bloodstone off of his back and and claim the title of you know the the master monster hunter or whatever uh Ulysses title was uh it made it seem like sort of uh Jack's character was dedicated to sort of like protecting monsters uh even though he had these like oh over 100 kills and i think they so again, back to this whole like not holding your hand thing. I I really liked the fact that I came to the assumption that those hundred kills must have been ones that were like f- staged or like faked, mm-hmm. maybe. Where like he let the monsters go and then like basically the you know brought back some sort of like quote unquote proof of like this, which is why his kill number was so much higher than all of the other monster hunters where everybody mm-hmm. was like wow over like 150 like whoa oh that's that's why you know how did you how did you manage that? i find that hard to believe um that was that was really neat i liked that little bit of world building there um but it i liked at the end that it was you know ted and and jack are sort of this like you know they're they're best friends and they, you know ted's got his back he can't, comes back for him to help him out and then he watches over him as he like recovers from being a werewolf, which I also uh, I have to say the one thing where I was like, well, that's kind of a weird plot hole is like uh, not necessarily a plot hole. But I was like, OK, so the bloodstone in the movie changes him into a werewolf immediately. And this is a conversation that Jack and Elsa have while they're being imprisoned. Elsa says uh, Jack says, oh, don't worry about it. We have five whole days until the next full moon. We can figure this out. No problems. And Elsa's like, yeah, about that. The bloodstone's going to transform you immediately and you're mm-hmm. going to kill me. It's going to be very bad. And um, I thought that uh, it was a little weird that, you know, he wakes up and I'm like, OK, well, now it's like you're going to be a werewolf again in like four days, buddy. Like you're going to be pretty tired. You seem pretty tired. You seem pretty worn out after what the the events that I transpired see. the night you're before you're saying you're saying at the end of the film when he's in the tent he wakes yeah, up he's in the tent he like comes out and it's just i mean he's got like the worst werewolf hangover of his life mm-hmm. you know as one does yeah. when you transform into a werewolf i'm sure that's got to be very taxing um but uh yeah he comes out he's like he needs coffee like i love ted make some coffee ted's you know they're gonna go have sushi whatever i'm like yeah but in four days you're gonna be in the same position like what's what's going on there feel bad for you can't just skip <laughs> well, that one you can't just well, skip you know, full moon as i say about future dave that's a problem for future jack you know like good point that's that's a tomorrow problem okay that's you don't need to worry about it today. for they, for future werewolf jack yeah they've gotten through the worst of it that's a problem okay and also uh to address your other point this is interesting to me because at the beginning of the movie um they're all being introduced uh Verusa's introducing them all and i actually pulled up the script okay, okay. and um she says, quote, over 200 kills collectively. Uh, and then she starts like going down each of the people and like naming how many kills they each had. And she's like, 26 for you, 37 kills, 43, an impressive 57. And then she says, and over 100 deaths. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like she said, like kills for the other people, but then other like, people, for yeah. Jack, she said deaths. And I was like, that's, I, I wonder if that was like purposely different because. He hasn't killed a hundred monsters, right? Like, yeah, uh, but it, likely, I mean, but so. if, if she knew that that he hadn't killed yeah. them, then obviously yeah. his cover would be blown. 
So maybe, maybe she didn't know, and it was the movie's way of telegraphing that to us. I don't know. That it was a little yeah. different, right? Yeah, yeah, like maybe that's sort of the movie's way or the script's way of sort of differentiating I, him from everybody else. I actually think, actually, let me, let me, um, if I recall, I think he's the one that says "end over one hundred deaths." I think maybe that's so that, that might be that would explain it. Yeah, that might be the case. Uh, but yeah, I just I thought that that was very that was a very intentional thing, and I thought that it was interesting that they that. Jakina allowed me to infer that right. like by the end of it, you, if you think about it going back, you're like, Oh, okay. Like I like the, maybe these were staged or fake deaths where, you know, he helped these monsters get away, you know, and, and basically yeah. took these contracts and then we're like, okay, I'm going to, which is why he has so many. Like I thought, Oh, okay. Well that, that I can, I like, I really like that. And I also was like, well, you know, like, It'd be really cool to have a series, like a limited series of him, like going out and like, you know, helping monsters or whatever. That'd be like kind of fun. Help him help them escape other hunters. I also wonder what the future of Elsa Bloodstone is. What is she going to do? She so she assumes the assumes the Bloodstone uh, mantle. She she has the Bloodstone. She is a Bloodstone uh, by by, you know, family and she is in charge now and by the end of this uh short film uh, she's she is in charge and so what is she going to do with that uh with that power what is she going to mm-hmm. is she going to continue monster hunting is that something of interest or is it or will she use the power of the bloodstone for other purposes i found that very interesting and intriguing i wanted more from that yeah. story so i i I feel like it was a success in that regard where I said, I could watch all of these characters do more things. Yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, and I agree. Like a lot of open ended threads left dangling, uh, for possible future MCU things to resolve, uh, possibly for the blade movie, maybe a blade and Elsa will team up in the future. Uh, we'll see. Could be, yeah. could be a lot of cool stuff. So, you know, uh, anything else we want to talk about in terms of werewolf by night? Oh, I did want to say uh, I thought it was a little odd that they saved the werewolf reveal for so far into the movie. Like, I don't think you know he's a werewolf until like 30 minutes into this 54 minute movie. It's halfway through. Yeah. It is halfway through. You're right. And it's weird because uh, it's weird that they didn't even, I don't, I don't even think they hinted at it in the first half. I don't even think they're like, be careful, there's werewolves out here or anything like, you know, like, no. because, but the thing is, if you are watching this movie, you have used your Fire TV or Apple TV cursor to select the movie called Werewolf by Night. You know you there's know going there's to be a, be a werewolf. Be a, unless it's one of those movie titles that has nothing to do with the movie itself, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was a little interesting that they like kind of saved it all for like, they didn't even like hint at it at all. I'm not, no. I don't necessarily think it's good or bad. I just think it was like an interesting decision to not even, not even set it up at all, you know? Um, and yeah. it's, fine. it's like, I, I guess I'm trying to picture a world in which like the movie wasn't called werewolf by night. And like, would it have been a shock? You know what I'm saying? If, I guess when so. he transforms yeah. into a werewolf, right? That's a great, uh, that's a really great point. I think you're yeah. right. I think if it had been named something different without werewolf in the title, people would have been surprised that he yeah. transformed. It would have been like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was like, a werewolf. Whoa, you know, that like, been, whoa, but, that's so but, cool. But that would have really cut against the kind of universal monsters like Ethos, yeah. where like it, those movies are all titled Attack like, of what? the Killer Tomatoes, Frankenstein. 
Right. They're all it's titled like, like what the right creature there. is. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just that's it. So it's like they're very clear about what this is. So yeah, yeah that, yeah. So that does make to, a lot of sense. They had to stick to that. But but it it was an interesting decision that like there's no werewolf set up and then all of a sudden, bam, he's a werewolf. Um, and if it wasn't called Werewolf by Night, it might have been a shock to me. It would have been, it would have been a been real like, surprise. Yeah, yeah. Would so. you have been delightfully surprised or like not in a good way surprised? Because I like I'm curious. You like walk into something thinking it's yeah. just like kind of a black and white horror thing. Yeah. And then you yeah. start watching it. You're like, whoa, oh, whoa, this is a werewolf movie. Like that's something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it like from the perspective of like someone coming in completely fresh and the the reveal. Like I I, I think it's kind of set up that there's something different about gal garcia bernal's character mm-hmm. uh and so it's like okay you kind of suspect he's not the same as the other characters and he's different then he, he says he doesn't want the bloodstone he's he very clear right. about that he's like i don't even want that bloodstone i don't want yeah it. and then it's clear that he's like coming to save his friend and so that it's like oh that's that's didn't cool that's new and interesting and then oh he's actually a monster and then oh the monster is the werewolf you know like um, yeah, I think it would have been like a fun series of reveals, you know, it, it would um, have been a nice day. Yeah, that would I think would have been a, a nice, pleasant surprise all the way through, just like constantly being surprised by his character. Uh, yeah. I, I really I, I really enjoyed it. I did not know what to expect coming into it. Yeah. And um, I was I was very pleasantly surprised. I think the thing that I would the only thing my takeaway from all of it, and this is probably the last thing that I will have to say on it is. I want so much more of these standalone special presentation things from Marvel and from Star Wars. Like I I would like to see more of this. And this is to say like, you know, I I don't necessarily subscribe to the DC cinematic universe strategy. Like I think uh, it's a little bit of a mess. Um, And all of these kind of standalone movies that are trying to like sort of interconnect with each other. Like I, I think they're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And it's not really working in a lot of respects. Um, but with the MCU, because, because the main MCU is such a well-oiled machine at this point, I mean, it really is like a, it's a widget factory. Um, I, I really like that they took the time to allow Michael Giacchino to, to make this and to, really like handcraft this weird interesting thing uh that you know i think in another you know i think five years ago would have been like a big no i think they they would have been a little more hesitant to do it Mm -hmm. and 10 years ago would have definitely been a no so um i just i really appreciated this and i i would very much like to see a return to that sort of you know again with the water cooler moments and like you know, like, I really love those. I love that we're getting away from the seasonal binge model of things. I like that we have things that we can talk about for a week because TV is awesome and it's fun to talk about. And I want to talk about it with my friends and maybe we can't all watch it on one night, like in one go. So to be able to kind of come back and talk about this with, with people and say like, Oh, you got to check this out. It's really cool. And then like be able to kind of discuss it a little bit, maybe once a month, like I would love, or even once a quarter, I would love to see something like this drop on Disney plus where it's like just something interesting. That's a little longer than these kind of, you know, cars on the road is a great example. Uh, cars on the road, very cute. It's a really good premise, but it's also, you know, they're, they're 10 minutes long. It's not even a full, episode of a tv show 
like a half hour. Car- TV car- show. Cars on the Road is is like these little shorts uh, set in the Cars universe on Disney Plus right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so um, for anybody who is not familiar, so I I have a toddler, so uh, I'm very familiar with Cars uh, as a as a franchise. Uh-huh. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I know we have a cars encyclopedia in this house. We know the name of literally every car that you could possibly see in the cars universe. Like it is, I have theories about why the cars universe of cars mm-hmm. has adopted human, like yes. human history. I like, I've got a whole that that's a whole other podcast. Like we can yes. talk about that another time. Hundred percent. But, um, but yeah, I would really love to see this. I, I would very much like this return to sort of the, the wonderful world of Disney Sunday night. Like, Maybe once a quarter, I would love to see something like this drop or even twice a year. Um, but just more of this. Like, I, I really enjoyed this. This was such a this was such a tasty morsel of something that I just don't normally get served by Marvel and Disney. And so it was uh, it was very enjoyable and delightful. And I just uh, I can't possibly encourage them to do more of this. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Logan, the uh, yes. movie where it's kind of like, oh, it's it's technically using the same character that you know, but it's set in a different time period and it's ultra violent and uh, it's maybe it's thing. not going to connect super with every, like really closely with everything else going on. Um, but yeah, I agree. Love this approach. Love that they're taking chances tonally visually with the MCU. Um, and also I'll point out that uh, the music was pretty good as you might expect from a, Michael Giacchino production. He wrote the music as well for the movie, which, you know. I mean, really working overtime on this one. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> can you imagine, uh, Michael Giacchino is one of the most talented composers alive today. Yeah, And can is. you imagine, like, you know, trying to be the composer for this and Michael Giacchino's directing it? It's just like, no, just let him do the thing. Yeah, you don't want those you, notes. You don't, you don't want those don't daily want, notes, right? You don't like, want those just, notes. Who's taking that job? Everyone's just yeah. like, mm, nope, I don't know. Maybe nope. that's why he did it, because no one else, he couldn't find anyone to do it. Couldn't so. find him. Everyone's like, oh, uh, why don't you just, uh, why don't you just do yourself? Like, also, there's something to be said for he had a very clear vision. It's very obvious. He had a clear vision of what he wanted mm-hmm. and just, like, made it happen. And Marvel, uh, Marvel enabled him to to realize that vision which is pretty cool like i i always appreciate when you see a movie regardless of whether it's in or outside of like the traditional kind of big five studio system uh if you see a director who was given the resources they wanted to make the thing they wanted to make it really comes through in the final product and this was one of those cases and i always appreciate that i love seeing when that happens uh, you can tell everybody's really excited about it. Everybody who made it wants to talk about it. They want to celebrate it. And I think it should be celebrated. In- indeed. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up here today on Decoding TV. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Decoding TV. And of course, if you enjoy podcasts like this, Become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Support this podcast and everything else we're going to do throughout the rest of the year. we got some exciting stuff coming up for you. But thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this show possible. She is Ashley Esqueda. She is a writer and pop culture host whose work has appeared at CNET and Nintendo. She's currently writing The Art of Psychonauts too. Ashley, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. This was great. Let's do this again sometime. Perhaps we shall, Ashley. Perhaps we shall. And I'm David Chen. We'll see you next time on Decoding TV. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.